0: Well, the Christmas story of Jesus' birth and all the events surrounding that is one of the most fascinating true stories ever. And within that true story, we have amazing miracles, fascinating characters, spectacular events. So if you wanted to teach this whole story all at once and do it justice, you really wouldn't be able to do that in the the time frame that we allot to a Sunday morning teaching slots. And so this morning we're not going to try to look at the the whole Christmas story, we're going to look at just one portion of this, and the portion of the story we're going to be looking at this morning is really focused on Jesus' birth as the king. And the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at is in Matthew chapter 2. And there's really going to be three groups that Matthew is going to be sharing with us in this chapter. We're going to see uh, the wise men, King Herod, and the religious leaders. And with all three of these groups, we're going to be looking at three different responses to Jesus the King. And so really not looking so much as the birth of the baby as much as the birth of the king of the Jews, the birth of the king of kings and lord of lords. And as we look at the three responses that we had to to Jesus the king, I really want us to ask ourselves this question. And, And that question is, how do we respond to Jesus the king? When it comes to Jesus being the king of our life, The response that we see here in Matthew's Gospel are really the same three responses that people have today to Jesus the King. And so this morning we're going to see how the wise men, how King Herod, how the religious leaders respond to Jesus the King. And as we examine these three responses, we're going to see how we should and also how we should not respond to Jesus the King. And we're going to start by looking at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 of Matthew, and, and see what it has to say to us this morning. It says this, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So chapter 2 here starts introducing us to these people that we're called our wise men and they've come from the east and they have come to Jerusalem and they're looking for a baby who has been born king of the Jews. Now, we're not told very much about the wise men, and because of that, there have been many people who have uh, had lots of speculations concerning the wise men, uh, a lot of misconceptions about the wise men, And, and over time, these speculations and these misconceptions have been adopted by many Christians as facts when actually they're not facts because we don't have enough biblical evidence or even uh, external evidence to support them. And these speculations, they're, they're sung in Christmas carols as facts, and, and we're not even sure if some of these things are actually true or not. And I'll give you a few examples of some of the speculations that people have concerning uh, the wise men. The, the most commonly held speculation is that there were three wise men. But the Bible actually doesn't tell us that there were three wise men. It just tells us that there were three gifts. And so because there were three gifts, uh, it led to this speculation. Well, it must have been three wise men who gave those three gifts. But it's actually much more likely that there were many more wise men who just gave three very uh, costly gifts to Jesus. Another commonly held speculation is that the wise men were actually Kings. It's why we sing that Christmas carol, We Three Kings of Orion are. Uh, that's where this comes from, this concept that, that these wise men were actually kings. But the word translated wise men is magi, it's where we get our English word magician. Uh, It's a a name that the Babylonians, the the Medes, the Persians, they gave to their astrologers, their soothsayers, their uh, wise men, their magicians. Uh, We see this in the book of Daniel. When Daniel was taken captive, he was taken captive by the Babylonians uh, and he was made one of their wise men. And um, so it's very unlikely that the magi were kings. It's much more likely that they served under a king, kind of like Daniel did in this role of giving king counsel uh, as a wise man. People also speculate that the uh, what the names of these wise men were, what country uh, they came from. There are traditions that have led to people believing that this is what it is. Uh, they believe the names of these wise men were uh, Melchior from Persia, Caspar uh, from India, and Belshazzar from Arabia. And you've probably seen the movie, The Nativity, which is where this picture is coming from, or, or just a lot of things that kind of uh, focus on this time and the wise men try to bring in these things. But we really don't have a lot of historical evidence to, to support that. Uh, the Bible does, definitely does not give us the names of the wise men. It doesn't give us uh, where they're specifically from. It just says they came from the East. So some of, those are some of the, the speculations concerning wise men, that there's really not enough biblical evidence to support them. But they're speculations, meaning that you know it could be true. Uh, these are things that could possibly happen. We don't know it from the Bible, but you know it is a possibility that there were just three of them. Uh, it is a possibility that some of these other things are, are likely, and some of the other ones, like them being king, are, are pretty much not likely. But there are also some commonly held misconceptions. And so the speculations could be true. The misconceptions are definitely not true because they go completely against what the Bible clearly tells us about the wise men. And the most commonly held misconception concerning the wise men is that they were actually there at the birth of Jesus in the stable with the shepherds, with the animals, there giving their gifts to Jesus when he was just born. Now, if you have bought a nativity set, uh, if you've seen the movie, The Nativity, if you just search for Christmas images, you will find that almost all of them will have the wise men there at the stable with baby Jesus in the manger giving gifts to him. Actually, as I have done, it's very hard to find Anything that actually has wise men not there, Uh, and so it's kind of interesting that pretty much all the pictures and all the imagery that we have surrounding the nativity and the birth of Jesus bring the wise men into that moment, and as we'll see, that is not What the Bible tells us. Now, growing up, I was in many different Christmas pageants, and in some of them, I even played a wise man, and I offered my gift to Jesus as he was in that manger, as he was there in the stable, but that's just not biblically accurate. And let's see why. Notice here as Matthew starts chapter 2, we're told, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So Matthew makes very clear, hey, it was after Jesus was born that the wise men show up on the scene, which leads us to ask the question, okay, how long after Jesus was born did they arrive? I mean, was it a day after? Was it a week after? I mean, okay, it was after, but you know, maybe that could still fit in my narrative if it was just right after. Well, let's see what we're told in verse 11. And when the child had come into, or when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Now, notice there's two very important words here. We see house and young child. The wise men come into a house, not a stable, and they encounter a young child, not a baby. So the wise men definitely are not there at Jesus' birth. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter that Jesus could have been as old as two years old before the wise men actually show up at his house and meet him and offer gifts to him. And so here is a more biblically accurate picture, and there's only two that I could find online, and this is just one of them that actually shows the wise men in a home with Mary only, because Joseph isn't in this account, he's probably out working, and Jesus as a toddler as opposed to a baby. Uh, and so this is a much more biblically accurate picture to have in your mind than the one you probably have with the wise men there with the baby in the manger and the one that we typically see around the nativity. Now, for some of you, you might have just realized that some of the things that you believed about the wise men aren't true. Maybe they were just speculations that you thought were facts and you realize, okay, they're not facts. Or maybe you had you know, a thought like this one that you realized, oh, that's not true at all. And you know, I want you to realize you're not alone. There are many Christians who have those you know, speculations and misconceptions as well. But I think it's just a good warning for us to know our Bibles well. So that we don't get sucked into speculation, we don't get sucked into uh, tradition or misconception or things that would just you know, declare things that we would then assume are facts because enough people have said it, but instead we would say the only thing that are facts are the ones that we can look to the Word of God and see this is what God's Word says and that's why we know it to be true. So I pointed out what the Bible doesn't say about the wise men, but that's not the point. The point is, what does it say? What did they do? How did they respond? So let's see, once again, verses 1 and 2, what we're told here about these wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the, king, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come... To worship him. So we're told the wise men come from somewhere in the East, not any particular place that we don't know if it's Persia or if it's India or if it's Arabia, like tradition says. It's just from the East. And they have come to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, here's the key they start saying something to people that reveals some very important realities about them. And notice what they say They say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So notice here that the wise men understand something very, very important. That there has been born in Israel the king of the Jews. And they are there to worship that king. They have come a long journey to meet and to worship and to give gifts to this king of the Jews. And they know this... And they are directed there by a star. Uh, we're actually not told how they know this information, but we are told what got them from where they were to Israel. And notice they say it's his star. Speaking of the star of this king, you know, it has led them to this place. Now, many biblical scholars believe that the wise men gained this information, this knowledge of the fact that Jesus, the king of the Jews, was born because of Daniel's influence. Now, the Bible tells us that Daniel was taken east, to Babylon, and there he was made a magi or a wise man, uh, he rose in prominence there, uh, and one of the biggest reasons was because he was able to give the interpretation to King Nebuchadnezzar of his dream that no one else could, God gave that to him, and when God did that through Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar recognized that God was with Daniel, and he rose Daniel in the ranks, and now he made him basically the chief, the head over all of the other wise Wise men, And so he had quite an influence uh, on the wise men in the East. And the book of Daniel tells us that God gave Daniel some amazing prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus. So it's very possible... That because of Daniel's influence over the wise men of his time, because of what God spoke to him about the coming of Jesus, that he passed on a lot of this information that he revealed to people about the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to this. And so it is a possibility that this is where the information that these wise men have about Jesus being born came from. Now, I just want to clarify, it's just a possibility. Uh, So this would fit under the category of speculation, but there are certain speculations that have more credibility than others. I think this is one of those strong ones where you can say you know, there's a lot of good evidence to support the fact that this is where they might have gained this information from. But don't walk away from here this morning saying, well, this is a fact, this must be what it is, because we don't have enough information to come to that conclusion. So it's just like, hey, we're speculating based off some of the stuff that we know, and so I'm just going to throw that out there For you, as some possibility. Um, But the important thing is, we do know this. They knew that the king of the Jews was born, and they were led by a star to Israel. And now we're going to come back to the wise men in a moment. We're going to see how they respond to the birth of the king. But before we do that, we're just going to follow the flow that Matthew writes in. And he starts with the response of Herod and the religious leaders before he gets to the response of the wise men. And so we're going to pause for a moment and we're going to look at two ways we shouldn't respond to Jesus as king uh, as we see the religious leaders in Herod. And then we'll pick up again with the uh, the wise men and see how they respond. So the response of Herod uh, and the religious leaders are in verses 3-3. My people, Israel. So the wise men have been going through Jerusalem and they're saying something that was quite surprising to many. They're saying, Hey, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So imagine these very prominent Eastern men coming into Jerusalem and asking people, Where is your king? that has been born, and then they bring some other interesting information. Hey, we've seen the king's star all the way in the east, and it has led us here, and we're here to worship him, so where is he? Now, I'm sure that the wise men would have expected that the Jews would have known where their king was. They would have expected that the Jews would have said, oh yeah, here he is in the palace, You know, that they were coming expecting that if we know all the way from the east and we have followed a star and we're aware of it, surely you, since you're Jewish, you know your Jewish king has been born. So they're just asking for directions. You guys obviously know where your king is. Could you point us to where he is because we've come in order to worship him? Well, news gets back to King Herod about what the wise men have been asking and saying, and we're told that Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him about the news of the king of the Jews having just been born. Now, in order to understand the fact... That Herod is troubled and everybody else is troubled. We really need to have a little background information concerning Herod because it helps us understand why Herod responds the way he does. And it also helps us to understand why all of Jerusalem is troubled at this news because you would think this news would have been glorious news to many of them. And so let's get a little bit of background information on Herod. Uh, First of all, Herod was not Jewish, he was an Edomite which means he was a descendant of Esau, all right? He was not a descendant of Jacob. Jacob later becomes Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jews. So you had to be a descendant of Jacob in order to be Jewish. So he's a descendant of Esau, which means he is not Jewish, which leads to a question, how in the world does a non-Jew end up becoming the king of the Jews? Well, it was not because the Jews wanted Herod. Uh, To be their king. They definitely did not want Herod to be their king. The reason that Herod was their king was because the Romans appointed Herod to be the king of the Jews. Now, the Jews hated Herod for many reasons, but I'm going to share three main reasons why the Jews hated Herod. The first is because he wasn't Jewish. The second is because they did not appoint him and they hated the fact that Rome uh, forced them to have a king that they didn't want. But really probably the biggest reason that they hated Herod being their king is because Herod was a violent ruler. William Barclay tells us this about the violence of Herod's rule. Herod had no sooner come to the throne than he began by annihilating the Sanhedrin. He slaughtered 300 court Officers. He murdered his wife, Maramine, and her mother, Alexandra, his eldest son, Antipater, and two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. Augustus, the Roman emperor, had said bitterly that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Herod knew the Jews didn't want him as their king, and this is something that made him paranoid. That someone would try to take his rule from him. He wasn't popular. He was placed there by the Romans. So he knew if the Jews got their way, he would be removed from his throne and someone would be put in his place. They would want that. And so this is why he killed his wife. This is why he killed three of his sons. This is why he killed many uh, chief officers of the Sanhedrin and others. He, he wanted to remove any type of threat to his throne and his rule. And this background of Herod kind of helps us understand his response. Because of his paranoia, because of his fear of losing his power, losing his rule, losing his kingdom, when he hears that wise men from the east are asking people, where is the baby that was born king of the Jews? All of a sudden his antennas go up. King of the Jews, that's me. What are you talking about? A baby born king of the, a baby's going to take my spot? I don't think so. So all of a sudden, he is very paranoid about this information and that's why we're told he's troubled. But you know what? All Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why? Because they know how brutal this guy is. When they hear that information, they're wondering who's dying next. He already killed his wife and his sons. He's killed hundreds and hundreds of people. Man, he's going to slaughter people in order to try to keep his power. And so there's a fear from them of like, man, we're going to suffer his violent rage because of this information. And so there's two groups that are troubled. The people more so because of what Herod's going to do and Herod because he doesn't want to lose his throne and his power. Well, this leads Herod to gather all of the chief priests and scribes together and he inquires of them, he asks them a question. He wants to know hey, where is it that the Christ was to be born? Now, the chief priests and the scribes, these are the Jewish religious leaders, these are the people who should know the answer to the question. I mean, if anyone's gonna know what the Bible says about where the Messiah, the King of the Jews, was to be born, it's these men. They should know. And they do know. When he asks them the question, they have a biblical accurate response. Notice what they say in verses 5 and 6. We're told, So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the religious leaders, what they're doing is quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is a prophecy of where the Messiah would be born. And from this verse in Micah, the religious leaders understand two different things. First, not only where the Messiah is going to be born, it says he'll be born in Bethlehem, but also that he would be a ruler or a king who will shepherd my people, Israel. So this verse brings up two important things. He's going to be born in Bethlehem and he's going to be a king. And this information is revealed to King Herod. So news that the wise men had come to see this child has spread throughout uh, Israel and Jerusalem. And Herod is troubled by it. He calls the religious leaders to find out where this new king would be born the religious leaders know exactly where because they know their Old Testament, they quote Micah 5:2. And I want you to note something that's quite interesting in all of this. As you can see from this map, Bethlehem's only 5 miles away from the outskirts of Jerusalem. So these religious leaders, they literally could have walked from where they dwelt in Jerusalem to Bethlehem in just a matter of hours. And I want you to keep that in mind. This wasn't like, wow, you know, uh, the the Christ is going to be born in like Babylon or it would take this huge journey to get there. They could literally walk it in a few hours. They could go after breakfast, be there before lunch, and they could have investigated this information that they're hearing from these wise men. So notice this. We're told the religious leaders, they know what the Bible says, that the king of the Jews is going to be born in Bethlehem. They see that these wise men believe this king's already been born. We've followed this star here. We're convinced that your king is now alive. But notice not one of them is willing to walk five miles to investigate whether or not their king has been born. Sadly, these religious leaders have the right information, but they seem personally uninterested in meeting Jesus the king for themselves. And this brings us to the first response to Jesus the King that I want us to take note of. The religious leaders are not willing to act upon their knowledge of Jesus the King. They're not willing to take a little five-mile journey to say, you know what, we didn't think our King was born, but you know what, since all these guys have traveled all this way and they're claiming that the star has led them and they're convinced of this, Why don't we just go investigate? Why don't we just go see what all the hoopla is about? Let's just make a little journey today, walk out, and see if any of this stuff has any validity, if our king is actually born. But not one of them was willing to do that. You know, I think that is like many people today. They have a knowledge of Jesus as king Maybe they've been to church, especially on Christmas or Easter. They, they've heard what the Bible has said about Jesus. They, they've heard that you know, the Bible says that Jesus is God, that He died on the cross for their sins, that He rose from the dead, that He wants to be the King of their life. But they're like the religious leaders, they're not willing to act upon that knowledge, they're not willing to put their faith in Jesus. They're not willing to ask Jesus to forgive them of their sin. They're not willing to say, Jesus, I want you to be on the throne of my life, to be the king of my life that I follow. So the knowledge they have of Jesus does them nothing because they're not using that knowledge in the way the Bible says they should. You see, just knowing about Jesus, just knowing information about him, which a lot of people have, that's not enough. The Bible says that doesn't save you. Hey, the demons know all these things about Jesus. They shudder. They're they're not saved. You have to have a personal relationship because you placed your faith in him and what he's done personally for you. That's the only thing that's going to change your life. Well, the religious leaders tell Herod where the king of the Jews is going to be born. And now notice what Herod does in response to this knowledge in verses 7 and 8. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when, I have, when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So notice here we're told that Herod secretly meets or calls the wise men for this meeting. And Herod's troubled. At this possible birth of a king that could usurp his authority and take his throne. And so he comes up with a plan. And his plan starts with a secret meeting with the wise men. And notice that he wants a certain bit of information from them. He wants to know when the star Appear. What time did that star appear to them? He's basically asking, when did you first see this star that made you know that a king was born here in Israel? And the answer to this question would let Herod know how old baby Jesus would be. And that's really what he's trying to get to. He's trying to suss out, how old is this child uh, or is this person even older than that? And so he wants that information. And notice he tries to convince these wise men that his motives are different than they really are. Oh, I just want to know this because I want to worship this king as well. Notice what he tells them, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me, why, that I may come and worship him also. And so these guys are thinking, oh, great, we're going to worship him. Sure, when we find where he is, Herod will come back and we'll let you know so that you can go worship him as well. But that is not the real reason that Herod wants to know where and when and how old Jesus is You see, we're told in verse 16 what Herod's real motivation is. We're told this. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So when Herod secretly meets with the wise men, they say, hey, we'll come back and we'll tell you when we find the baby and we'll tell you where he is. Well, time goes by, they don't come back. And the reason they don't come back is because in verse 12, we're told that God warns them in a dream, don't you go back to Herod. Uh, you know, God knows that Herod's plan is to kill Jesus. And so God warns them and they listen. They don't go back to Herod. Instead, they go another way back to their own country in the east where they came from, Uh, and so when Herod finds out that the wise men are gone, that they've left Israel, that they have not come back and given him this information that he wanted so desperately where baby Jesus was, we're told in verse 16, he gets exceedingly angry. And the reason he's exceedingly angry is because the wise men have ruined his plan, a plan to murder Baby Jesus. I mean, that was what he was all up to this whole time. He never had any intention of worshiping Jesus. When he would get that information from the wise men of where Jesus was, he would have immediately sent soldiers to go and kill Jesus, and then it would be like, all right, another threat to my rule has been dealt with. But now he's got to go to a second plan. The first plan would have just been, I'll kill this one baby. But now I don't even know who this baby is. But I do know how old this baby is because when I inquired of the wise men, they told me when they first saw the star. And the response of Herod here reveals to us that the wise men must have told him it was at least close to two years before this that they first saw the star because Herod in his plan says, all right, I'm going to kill every single male child in Bethlehem two years and under. He came up with two years from what he learned from these wise men. And he has this very vicious plan. If I can't kill the exact king child, I'll kill every child and I'll make sure I get him that way. And he does. And the story continues where God warns Joseph and Mary, they flee to Egypt so baby Jesus is not killed in this. But all the other male children, two years and under, are murdered by Herod in order for Herod to try to wipe out this threat to his throne. So Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus because he didn't want Jesus to rule over him. He wanted to rule over himself. And this brings us to the second response to Jesus the king that I want us to take note of. Herod wanted to rule himself and not have Jesus rule over him. And one of the main reasons today in our time today... That people reject Jesus as their king is the same reason that Herod did. is because they want to be king of their own life. They don't want to let anyone else be the king of their life. They don't want to get off the throne and put someone else on the throne of their life. They want to be king of their own life. And so Jesus is a threat. A threat to their kingship. A threat to doing things the way they want. A threat to living life the way they want to live it. A threat to having someone else be the king who commands me to do things that perhaps I don't want to do. And so a lot of people, they don't want that at all. And so like Herod, hey, I don't want any king taking the throne of my own life. I want to be accountable to anyone else. I only want to have to be accountable to myself. So like Herod, they fear the kingship of Jesus because they fear giving up the rule and control of their own life. But I think something very important for us to note is that is an unfounded fear. You know, I talk with so many people that have this fear of, if I give up my rule, if I give God control of my life, oh, that is such a horrible prospect because he is going to destroy my life. He's going to send me to places that are so horrible. He's going to make me do things that I hate. And there's this, this unbiblical and unfounded fear of if I give God control, that's bad for me. But the reality is there's only one thing that's really going to destroy your life. And that is when you try to keep control of it. When you try to stay king of your life instead of allowing God to be king of your life, that's the only thing that you should really be afraid of. That's the only thing that's really going to destroy your life. That's the only thing that's going to keep you from the blessings that God has for you because you don't want to get out of the throne and put him there. You don't want to say, God, you are the authority. Your will be done, not mine. I want you to rule and reign over my life. And that's the real danger. The danger is not God taking that position. The danger is you not relinquishing that position to God. You see, when we do it, it's a blessing. It's a joy. Jesus says this in John 10, verse 10. I have come that you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus didn't come to ruin your life. He came to give you abundant life. He came to make your life better than it ever could be without him. So the only way to really ruin your life is to not allow Jesus to rule it, but to continue to try to rule it yourself. But just look at Herod's life. Look at what it was like. I mean, here's a a prime example of an extreme person who's trying to rule and hold on to that rule with everything he's got, and look what it did to him. He killed his wife, he killed his kids, he murdered countless people to try to hold on to that, and in the end, he lost it all. In the end, the rule was taken, his life was taken, and it was all for naught. You know, Jesus gives us an important warning that Herod would have been wise to have listened to if he had the opportunity to hear the message. Matthew 16:26 says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Yeah, what, is it, what good is it if we gain everything this life has to offer? If you become the king, if you have all this rule and all this power and all this authority, if you gain all the pleasures, all the things that this life can give you, what good is it if in the end you lose your own soul and go to hell? And what Jesus is saying is nothing in this life is worth an eternity separated from God in hell. Nothing that you can gain, nothing that you can be given is worth, Trading that for heaven. Because that's what ultimately you're doing. You're saying, you know what? Forget heaven. Forget eternity with God. I'll be on the throne of my own life. I'll reject Christ. I'll enjoy the pleasures of this life for the short time that I have, and I'll pay for it for all eternity. What a foolish choice that is. So we've seen so far... Two ungodly responses to Jesus the King that we should not follow. These are examples of ways that we shouldn't respond to Jesus the King. The religious leaders are not willing to act upon their knowledge of Jesus the King. And Herod wanted to rule himself and not have Jesus rule over him. Well, now we come to the one godly response, to the one response we should follow. And that's the response of these wise men. And we see their response in verses 9 through 11. Let's see what they do. Wise men depart from this secret meeting that they have with King Herod. We're told the star went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now it seems that from what we're told here that the star wasn't always visible to these wise men, and this would explain some things. It would explain why they came to Jerusalem instead of going straight to Bethlehem where Jesus was. It would explain why they're asking people, hey, where is the king of the Jews born? Where is he? We we, want to know. Well, if the star was there always for them to see, they would have gone right to that spot. They wouldn't need to ask for directions. And this is why when they see it appear again, we're told they rejoice with exceedingly great joy because now once again, oh, here it is. We now can find the baby that we've been searching for. Now, notice that the star not only leads them to Bethlehem, like the general area, but it literally stands right over the place where Jesus is at. And I, and I like this picture. I was trying to find one that was even more specific because I, I would imagine it's kind of just like a spotlight right over this home. Like, here it is. Because even if you get to Bethlehem, it's like, okay. We start knocking on doors. I mean, where is this child? We don't know which one is which. There's lots of kids in this city. And so the star literally takes them directly to the home that Jesus is at. And I love this because here are men searching for Jesus, and they are led to the exact place where Jesus is at. You know, Jesus says to us in Matthew 7, 7, and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened you know i love this about god that you know what he says if you will seek me then i will do all that is necessary for you to find me and here we have gentiles not jews these gentile men who are seeking jesus the king and god miraculously leads them right to where Jesus is. Hey, if you want to seek me, I will make it possible that you will find me. And what a wonderful truth that is for us as well. So the wise men follow the star and get to the house where Jesus was staying. And notice there are two things that they do in verse 11 when they get to this home that are very important responses. These are the responses that we want to follow that are great examples to us. First, we're told they fall down and worship Jesus. Now, this Greek word translated worship here means to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. And I want you to think about it. I mean, these are distinguished wise men, probably dressed very fancily. And they come into this humble home and they bow down to this toddler. And just a profound demonstration of reverence. We recognize what this child is. And we're willing to bow ourselves in worship towards him. The second thing the wise men do is they give gifts to Jesus. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, it was great that they offered these gifts. Not just an offering of worship but an offering of gifts to the king of kings and lord of lords. But you know what? These gifts that they give to Jesus are actually quite fitting gifts for who Jesus is and who he would become as he grew up. You see, gold is a proper gift for a king. They knew they were coming to meet the king, and and gold is a great gift for a king. But you know, frankincense is a proper gift For a priest, because it was used in the offering of incense to God. And as we've seen in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is our high priest. And myrrh, that's kind of an odd gift to give, especially to a young toddler, because myrrh was something that was used in embalming the dead. It was used and ultimately to help the stench of that decaying body, and they would wrap it in the folds. As they were wrapping that body, they would place myrrh in there. And so it was ultimately for someone who had died. And another great thing in what we know Jesus did is he gave his life for us. Well, this brings up the third response of Jesus the king that I want us to take note of. The wise men accepted Jesus as their king and offered him their worship, And their gifts. So we look at, well, how should I respond as I think about Jesus the King during this Christmas season? And it's definitely not the way that Herod responded or the way that the religious leaders responded. Here's the way that God would have us today respond to the truth that Jesus is our King. That we would respond accepting Jesus as our King Accepting that He is our Savior, that He wants to be the King of our life, that He lived a perfect and sinless life, that He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, that He rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, and that we would worship Jesus with a profound reverence, but also that we would give gifts to Jesus as an offering of worship to Him, And, you know, the the wise men, they gave three great gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But, you know, we have three great gifts that we can always offer Jesus as well. Our time, our treasures, and our talents. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Those who look for Jesus will see Him. Those who truly see Him will worship Him. Those who worship Him will consecrate their substance to Him. For those of you here this morning or those watching online who have already placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, I really just want you to ask yourself four important questions. And just be honest with yourself and real with yourself as you kind of just consider these questions in light of Jesus being the King of kings and Lord of lords over your life and over my life. And the first question is, are you living like Jesus is your King? Just look at your life. If you're living life just the way that you want, your will be done, then guess what? You're not living like Jesus is the king of your life. You're not living like he's on the throne. You're not living like he's in charge and you're not. Second question, have you given Jesus complete rule and reign over your life? If he's truly the king, then he's not just king over part of my life, he's king over all of my life. And he wants to rule all of your life and all of my life. And he says, hey, I want you to give me rule and reign over every area. Don't hold anything back. Do you obey Jesus, worship him, and give your gifts to him? I mean, that's a you can kind of convince yourself, oh, yeah, he's the king of my life. Well, just look at this. Am I obedient? Do I reverence him? Do I worship him? Not just with songs, but with literal obedience in my life. Am I demonstrating through action that he truly is my king? And that leads us to that final question. Do your actions show that Jesus is your king? He wants to be king. He wants you to allow him that what he already is, but in your life. So as you take time to remember Jesus' birth this Christmas, I just want to encourage you to remember Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he wants that place of complete rule and reign in your life and in mine. Now, if you're here this morning or watching online and you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you've never made him Lord and King of your life, there's something the Bible tells us that's very important for us to understand about the kingship of Jesus Christ. And we see it in Philippians chapter 2 Verses ten and eleven, we're told, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, you know, people have this misconception that you know, if I don't make Jesus king, he'll never be king. If I don't allow him to be king, it takes him away from what he is. No. He's king. We don't make him king. He is king. We can you know, allow him to rule our life or not, but he is the ruler. And here this passage tells us there's going to come a moment where everyone, even those who deny that Jesus is king, they're, they're going to bow. They're going to recognize And not just recognize, but they are going to bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. And this is speaking of the fact that after you die, and you stand in front of him on the great white throne where he rules and reigns, and you're going to know for a fact, he's the king. He's got the power. He has the power of my eternity And everyone is that moment going to bow and confess. People can try to deny it in this life. They can try to convince themselves he's not the king in this life. But when they die, they're going to find out the truth. But here's the reality. You don't want to face the king after you die if you haven't put your trust in him in this life. For those of us who have put our trust in Christ in this life as king, when we face him, He's the king of our life who is going to allow us to join his kingdom for all eternity in heaven. But for those who reject Jesus' as kingship and lordship of their life in this life, he is going to be the king who judges them for all eternity in hell. And so the reality is, at some point, everyone is going to accept and bow before King Jesus, but it's only in this life Do we have the opportunity to accept it so that it impacts our eternity so that we can spend it with him? Pastor Shadrach Lockridge, he gave a a wonderful teaching. It's a long teaching titled, That's My King. But there's been several videos. There's one that I want to show you this morning. It just takes a, a few minutes of this teaching And it puts it to this video. And I want to show it to you this morning because we've been just looking at the kingship of Jesus, and he does a wonderful job just describing Jesus the King. And I just want to encourage you as we finish this morning and as you move towards Christmas time and celebrating the birth of Christ and, and thinking about the, the birth of the King, just, you know, that this description will just even encourage you of how great King Jesus truly is uh, and how blessed you and I are to have him as our King and hopefully will encourage us as we celebrate that this Christmas. And so we're going to finish with this video and then I'll come up and pray for us.
1: Strong, he's entirely sincere, he's eternally steadfast, he's immortally graceful, he's imperially powerful lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden... Light, uh, I wish I could describe him to you He's indescribable He's incomprehensible He's invincible He's irresistible Well, you can't get him out of your mind You can't, you can't get him off of your head You can't admit him And you can't live without him Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand it but they found out they couldn't stop him Silence couldn't find any fault in it
0: Amen. Father, we are so grateful that that is our King, King Jesus, who is so amazing, Lord, that even words can't fully describe how amazing He truly is. And we are so grateful as we take time this Christmas season just to celebrate the birth of Jesus that we would also recognize the birth of the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords who wants to rule and reign our lives in every aspect of it. And I pray, Lord, that as we are maybe last minute shopping for loved ones, Lord, that we would remember the great gift that we can offer You, which is our life. God, that if we're holding things back from You, If there are areas of our life that we are keeping from you to rule and reign, Lord, that our gift to you would be to just give our life in full obedience to you as you have asked and required and commanded of us. That you said, if you love me, keep my commandments, that we would demonstrate love this Christmas season towards you by obeying, by giving you full rule and reign over our life, Lord. And if there are things that are difficult that we are struggling with relinquishing to you, God, that you would just help us. By the power of your spirit, you would just enable us to overcome the things that we're struggling with overcoming, to give up the things that we're holding on to. Lord, that we truly would just step off the throne completely and allow you to be on that throne of our life over every area of our life. And that that would be the gift that we would offer to you this Christmas season. and so we are so grateful that you are the amazing king of kings in our life. And we're thankful that because of that wonderful truth that we can be in your kingdom for all eternity. And so we pray that you would just bless this Christmas season. Lord, help us not to get sidetracked with all the commercialization of Christmas and all the other things that are happening that we lose sight of what this season truly is all about, and that you would stay the focus not only today on church Sunday, but when we actually gather with our families on Christmas morning, Christmas afternoon, Christmas evening, Lord, that you would stay the focus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And speaking of Christmas, we are going to have a service Christmas Eve right here at 5 o'clock. Uh, it's going to be a family service, so the elementary kids will join us, uh, and then the preschool kids will have childcare for them, but uh, we would love for you to be able to come out and celebrate. Uh, it'll be um, probably the whole thing with about an hour. We'll give you time uh, to get and have dinner with family and anything that you're going to be doing Christmas Eve, but that we as a church family would just get this uh, wonderful time to Worship Jesus together. Be encouraged about Christmas together. Uh, And if you can't join us, we just want to wish you uh, uh, just a blessed Christmas time with you and your family. Uh, And um, God bless you guys. Let's have the worship team come on up and close in the song of worship.